Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Hopes Podcast. Today's podcast is titled Talk to the Doc. How can we expand access to HD care? Featuring Dr. Alexandra Duffy. I'm Avanti Ramraj, a sophomore at Stanford University, and I'm on the podcast team at Hopes. And Hope stands for the Huntington's Outreach Project for Education at Stanford. Over the past year, I've been getting to know the HD community. And something I keep hearing is that getting to see a specialist for Huntington's disease can be a long process. This can be especially frustrating to patients with HD and their families because many symptoms of HD worsen with time. In 2019, HDNet did a close-ended evaluated study of 339 U.S. practices and found that more than half of the patients with Huntington's disease have to wait for a year or more to get an appointment with a specialist. And the medium time to get a diagnosis was around two years. Why is this, and who can help us understand this issue more? Well, that would be our amazing guest today, Dr. Duffy, the Vice Chair of Education, Adult Neurology Residency Director, and Associate Professor at the Department of Neurology at UC Davis Health. Sasha Duffy, or Dr. Duffy's extensive expertise, experience, and dedication to the field of neurology make her one of the best to help shed light on the challenges faced by Huntington's disease patients and the potential solutions. Dr. Duffy's multifaceted background as a medical practitioner, educator, researcher, advocate, and compassionate caregiver uniquely position her as a remarkable guest for our podcast today. We'll be covering topics including the need for increased funding for research, education, and training to improve the quality of care for Huntington's disease patients in the United States today. Thank you so much, Dr. Duffy, for joining us today. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for having me on your podcast. Really appreciated it. And thank you for the amazing work that you all do. To talk a little bit about her philosophy of care, Dr. Duffy believes in strong therapeutic alliance with her patients, staying knowledgeable of contemporary and emerging therapies, and teaching through the care she provides her patients. She's also a wife, mama of two boys, and loves to go fly fishing with her family. In terms of her clinical interests, Dr. Duffy specializes in movement disorders, seeing patients with Parkinson's disease and atypical Parkinsonism, tremors, dystonia, and Huntington's disease. She is trained in deep brain stimulation and botulinum toxin injections for treatment of movement disorders. And in terms of her research and academic interests, Dr. Duffy's research interests are focused on participating in clinical trials in Huntington's disease, and she also dedicates her time as the Neurology Residency Program Director, mentoring and teaching the next generation of neurologists. Uh, But to hear a little bit more about that, can you tell us about your connection with Huntington's disease, what got you into it, into studying it, and now why you're director of the HD Center of Excellence? Yeah, absolutely. So I've been caring for HD patients and their um, families for over a decade now. I did my training here at UC Davis, and I was had the amazing opportunity to have Dr. Vicki Wheelock as my mentor through my training. And as many people know, she's had several decades dedicated to caring for Huntington's disease patients and their families and created our HD Center of Excellence here at UC Davis. So um, through her mentorship and exposure to Huntington's disease, I fell in love with the patients and their families, like many people do. Oftentimes, people ask me, "Well, why, why do, you, why do you do Huntington's disease?" And I say, "Just, just meet one, one patient, one family, and you will just see the inspiration from these HD warriors and be motivated to make a difference in their lives." So, so that is where I was exposed to Huntington's disease, and I was 
lucky to have the opportunity to stay on here at UC Davis when I finished my, my fellowship. And my fellowship was heavily focused on Huntington's disease, both clinical care and research. And then I came on board in the Huntington's Disease Center of Excellence as a colleague of Dr. Vicki Wheelock's and the team, and have been here, as I, as I mentioned, for just, just about a decade now, caring for these patients and their families, and involved in, in not just the clinical care aspect, but community outreach, education, giving talks to many different people within the field, trying to increase interest and participation in, in this field and also participating in the, the clinical trials that we do here. Kind of along those lines, I think a lot of people wonder what an HD Center of Excellence is and what it does, its goals. Can you address that a little bit? So through partnership with the Huntington's Disease Society of America, we've helped create and support centers of excellence across the United States. And really what it is, is to provide a multidisciplinary approach to Huntington's disease and the complexities that come along with the, the disease. And so here at UC Davis, we have two neurologists dedicated to Huntington's disease. We see patients every Friday, all day Fridays, every Friday of the month throughout the year. And we have an amazing genetic counselor, our wonderful social worker, several physical therapists that rotate through with us. We have our fellow with us that we're training to become an HD expert, as well as many other learners, medical students, observers throughout time. So we see patients. We also have a psychiatrist and a psychiatry fellow that joins us. And so we're there on the Fridays and we see patients in parallel. So both of the neurologists have their own clinic templates and then have a full template of HD patients. And then we share our team between the two of us, depending on the patients and the family needs of the day. Our social worker is the um, glue that binds us. So she coordinates everybody. She calls all the patients and their families two days before our clinic and assesses their needs so that we can kind of plan how we approach um, our day. We also involve our, our research coordinators to be conducting research um, alongside this, as well as um, connecting with their families for potential opportunities if, if the interest is there. And then our social worker is available. We have a, a private line for her. She talks to families through, throughout the week, um, depending on their needs as they arise. She puts on our uh, support groups that happen once monthly, um, which are both hybrid, in-person, and Zoom, so there's greater access. And many of our team members are involved in community outreach, attending the, the walks that occur throughout the year, are you know, putting on education days, speaking at national and international conferences. Definitely. And I think that something you were covering before, too, is that the patient approach in terms of treatment and then also just lifestyle for Huntington's disease, it requires a lot of different people to be involved. You were talking about the social workers, but then, of course, also the doctors and the people prescribing medication. But then because it is a behavioral, emotional and physical condition or disease, it kind of requires that holistic care. And so would you say that that could be a big reason, the lack of resources and that Huntington's disease patients aren't able to get the care that they want. I know a lot of people address to us having to drive quite far to go to a center that can provide the right care for them. What kind of resources do you think might be lacking? Yeah, so I think uh, number one is medical professionals that are trained and are experts in Huntington's disease, right, across disciplines. 
So we need our physical therapists, we need our speech therapists, our occupational therapists, our social workers, genetic counselors. We need to be training the next generation of care providers and um, having people exposed to it and inspired by Huntington's disease to want to become those experts, right? And as, as an educator myself, I'm always thinking about training that next generation. We need to increase that pipeline. If you ask many providers out there across disciplines, have you met a Huntington's disease patient? Do you know much about Huntington's disease? And you'll find that there's just a lot of lack of knowledge out there. And so a lot of us try to think about how can we be creative about training that next generation or educating other people about Huntington's disease so that if a Huntington's disease patient ends up in their emergency room or admitted to their hospital, that they understand something about Huntington's disease to tailor their approach. And if you look at the HD Center of Excellence right now, there are 36 states that are covered by 56 centers of excellence. So that's a lot. And there we've made in tremendous growth over the last many years, but that's still only 36 states. And a lot of us have looked at how do we expand that outreach? And we have partnered with different sites locally. So for example, our site has partnered with Kaiser System to help them care for Huntington's disease patients within their system as well. And doing that through education and through providing support and caring for these patients. So there are 11 partner sites now. So those have really grown over the last number of years. But again, still only covering 36 states. When people end up in a state that doesn't have a center of excellence or the center of excellence is six hours away, I was just meeting with someone who is is up in Oregon and their Oregon um, Center of Excellence is six hours from them. We're four hours from them, but so they're coming to us, but they still have to drive four hours, which is a huge burden for families. The other thing is most of us are licensed to practice within our state and we're not allowed to practice medicine across state borders. There is some leniency on that during COVID. So, for example, we could provide care across the states in Nevada and Oregon patients during COVID, but that's been reversed now that restrictions have changed. So if I have a patient who's six hours away in Oregon, they have to come to me for medical care. I cannot provide telemedicine um, visit. We have really changed how we, uh, how we deliver care through COVID and really the blossoming of telemedicine, which started before COVID, but really COVID pushed it forward. And so we've been able to expand access to our clinic and care through telemedicine across California. But again, that stops at the border. There's other companies that have looked at extending that, that telemedicine care across the states and being licensed in multiple different states to be able to do that, which is great which means that they can reach states that we can't reach or that there is not a, a center of excellence there. So the more that we can expand our footprint by having core centers, having affiliated sites to extend what I kind of think, think about as our spokes of care, the, the more we're going to be able to reach HD patients and open access to care for them. You know, I also think about training people people around us to, to be knowledgeable about Huntington's disease. And for example, there's a hospital in Chico, which is about an hour from us, that reached out to me and they were doing a 
and symposium for multiple medical providers from nurses to occupational speech therapists, social workers. So across this multidisciplinary, and they asked me to give a talk on Huntington's disease, which I did. So any any parts like that that we can do, I think just raises that awareness and accessibility to care tailored toward that HD patient. I know you are residency director for neurology at UC Davis, so you kind of know what current training models look like for these students. What do you think needs to be changed in terms of how students learn about Huntington's disease? Yeah, it comes down to where you train. And there could be training programs where a resident may see one or two Huntington's disease patients within their training. They learn about it, you know, in terms of textbook, but actually seeing a patient and their family, one might only see a couple if they're at a training site that doesn't have a dedicated HD center or clinic. Where I trained here at UC Davis, we have a center of excellence that sees over 300 patients a year. So there's a high volume. So I had that exposure. And we here really do make sure that because we have this unique opportunity for residents here, that we expose them through their trainings and to our clinic and get them to be comfortable and knowledgeable about Huntington's disease. And when I'm actually recruiting residents during interview season, I highlight the fact that we have a in Huntington's Disease Center of Excellence and how unique that is and how much that contributes to their educational opportunities and learning. So it's really a, a matter of choosing a program that has that. Now, there is an education group through the Huntington Study Group that is actually creating an education series um, that is going to be offered at the Huntington Study Group that is targeting trainees and having them come and be able to take this course to get further training in Huntington's disease if they haven't had that exposure or they want additional training. So there are groups, the Huntington Study Group and, and other groups that are trying to expand that outreach and how we can educate future generations and, and make content experts outside of maybe naturally how they're um, getting exposed to their residency program, right? So creating those opportunities for them elsewhere, which is fantastic. And that's going to be new this year at the Huntington Study Group. So I'm encouraging even my residents who get Huntington's disease exposure to go to that to get further training. So clearly, one part of increasing access to care for HD patients is educating more doctors about HD. But another part could be telemedicine. But are providers concerned that telemedicine wouldn't be able to give the full picture of a disease like Huntington's? Couldn't telemedicine be really helpful to at least start care for patients so that they could be advised to come in to see a specialist in person if needed? Yeah, I think you bring up uh, a really important discussion point and something that we've really talked about a lot within our clinic and then talked about at national meetings. How do we allow ourselves to be flexible about access to care? And we've been locked in this traditional model of seeing people in person to be able to deliver that care, especially the initial encounter. And the thing about movement disorders in general is oftentimes you can see things from pure observation that could give you a hint at or an indication what you should be suspecting. And 
I think that you bring up a great point that there could be models to have that initial point of contact be via telemedicine, either within the state that you practice or through these, these groups that see people across the United States, to have that initial contact and to make an early diagnosis and point people and get you connected to the right resources and then get you to a center of excellence subsequently. So yes, I agree that there is definitely room for that model to really expand and to, to support expanded access. Would you say that there is a harm that comes from perhaps people in rural areas, they're less motivated to come to the hospital until the symptoms get so bad that they feel that they have to see a physician? Do you see trends in in different levels of the disease, maybe based on where these people are coming from and their access to care? Yeah, I think oftentimes people think about these families that they've dealt with Huntington's disease generation after generation after generation, and they've developed um, HD warrior um, skills to manage and live with Huntington's disease and support their loved ones. And we don't have ways to slow down the disease or cure the disease right now. So oftentimes the thought is, well, what am I going for? What does this care look like? And I think understanding and being educated around all the options that are out there for you and to know that, hey, we can really improve quality of life and we can provide resources and increase access to those resources. We can support you and your family through this journey and provide care that really does improve quality of life. And, and then you can kind of understand what options are out there for you, such as research or getting involved. So families really benefit from accessing care, and they might not know all that's available to them because what's available locally may not be that much. But when you enter to a place like a center of excellence, the resources are quite significant and the care is as well, as well as the support and education. Thank you so much for that really insightful response, Dr. Duffy. And would you say that a reason that we're not putting enough resources may be because people believe that the number of patients is so low? Or what? what is the reason that we're not seeing money and also resources being put into HD research and development. Yeah, Huntington's disease, in regards to diseases in general, is considered a rare disease. And so it's harder to get sort of larger bodies ex to put money into rarer diseases. But that being said, it really comes down to getting people excited and knowing about Huntington's disease. So in a rare world, you just have to be loud and proud and, and align with your HD warriors and your advocates to really spread the word about Huntington's disease and how impactful it is on these patients and their families and how devastating it can be. And hey, we know what causes it. So can we look at that and address that and get people excited about wanting to fight for a cure for Huntington's disease is how I think about it. But that really comes from getting getting people excited about it and finding sources of large sources of funding or money through governmental channels. You know, these are patients that end up in the hospital and placement. And, and how can we get excited to 
spend money to avoid that, to change that course. And so it really comes to working. We're stronger in teams and we're stronger together. So how can we uh, continue that outreach and advocate for these patients and their families? Yeah. You really want to access all your resources. And it really comes from on the ground, grassroots conversations and, and outreach. And it takes a lot of work and it takes people coming together and and doing that work together as your group does, as, as our group does, and then coming together at the local, national, and international level. Would you say that because of the multidisciplinary approach necessary to treat Huntington's disease, that patients that you would want to treat at the HD Center of Excellence, that they're not able to get seen? Is there still a lack of maybe physicians or other resources, social workers that still limit centers of excellence? There's still more resources needed. And what's the average wait time for a patient there compared to what it would be if they went somewhere else that doesn't have that specialized care? Yeah, I, I can really only speak to that at our center. I'm not sure what other centers' wait times are. I do know to get into neurology in general, it's sometimes three to six months. So people could be waiting up to six months to see a neurologist. That's not our, our center, but just in general, I think that's pretty common for people to say that. And I'd say it's getting closer to six months for, for most neurologists. There's a shortage of neurologists, period, nationally. And they're not always located in rural places. And there might be one or two or they're there for a little bit and then there's turnover. So we have a lot of people that drive just to our neurology clinic from hours away just to get neurology access. Now, that's neurology in general, let alone Huntington's disease, which is sort of the sub-subspecialty. It is really limited to finding someone who's knowledgeable about Huntington's disease. Now, to get into our center, we're really quick about getting people in, which is great. We're lucky to have two neurologists seeing people, but also having the multidisciplinary piece of it. So we can take the team, team approach to this. And so, as I mentioned, our, our wonderful glue that binds us as social worker, Lisa, is really fabulous. We have her phone number on our website. So if you go to UC Davis, HC Center of Excellence, our social workers number is right there. You call. She gets back to people pretty quickly. We sort of find combs through our clinic and see where we can plug people in if, if we need to get them in quickly. So we're very accessible. <clears throat> she also takes phone calls from anybody from wherever they call. They're calling from Idaho and they're just trying to figure out where to get care. She helps connect them with nearby centers. So she's been doing this for many years as well. We try very hard to help people across states find care. And we're also open to, to talking to other care providers and trying to care for patients with Huntington's disease. So we've had outside providers that have a patient in their emergency room with Huntington's disease. They find us by just Googling and we'll, we'll connect with them and try to help walk them through that. So we try to make ourselves as accessible as possible to HD patients in a timely manner. Yeah, that's amazing to know the ways that a center of excellence can play that role in closing the gap, not only with wait times, but also giving people that that full 
psychosocial and behavioral and physical care that they need. And so maybe in terms of next big steps and solution, increasing the number of centers of excellence is a way to go about increasing that access to care in a very efficient manner. Yeah, I think we can do it a couple different ways. HCSA has really, over the last years, looked to expand centers of excellence. So th- that is really where their focus had, had been or has been, which I think is is great. Where I think the focus now should be would be expanding the spokes out from the centers of excellence. So having more partner sites al- that partner with the HD centers of excellence so that we can extend our footprint out into the rural areas surrounding us within our state and so that patients aren't having to come to us, but they can go to our partner sites and we can help the partner sites manage the symptoms and educate around Huntington's disease. And I think that will give us more of a footprint within our state. That's really where I see more of a sustainable approach. Because a center, of, a center of excellence requires that many different members and, and specialists within Huntington's disease. But if we can partner with another neurologist who has a social worker or physical therapist, we can help them help the HD patients. They don't have to be that large center, potentially, that, that, that we are. So that will be impactful um, for the HD community if we're able to achieve that more widely. Right. So is it improving the the coordination of care between those primary care physicians and then specialists and then kind of like the highest level would be the center of excellence, but it shouldn't be that every single person has to come directly to the center of excellence because that would be not only not sustainable, but a center of excellence couldn't take all of these different patients at once. Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what I'm saying. And we can make this happen at a smaller scale for people. So not all facilities want to be a center of excellence, right? They want to care for a small group of HD patients within their community, but they need help to to do that. So I think that that's really important. And then we can also extend our footprint out into multiple different medical systems because sometimes we're a little siloed within our system. So that allows our systems to kind of connect through that avenue. Definitely. Maybe even more people just knowing about it, like you said, even physical therapists are involved in the care for Huntington's disease. And I'm sure at least a few of the patients have gone to a physical therapist first and been like, I'm having these movement issues. Is this something that you can take care of for me? That increased education could happen through, I think you were addressing videos and other types of educational models. Is that a way to go as well? Yeah, I think anywhere that we can talk to medical providers and just empower them with knowledge that if they saw someone and this resonates with them, that they can think about Huntington's disease. So for example, sometimes these patients will see a psychiatrist before they see a neurologist and they go to their primary care physician first and then maybe psychiatry. And then maybe because they're having psychiatry or cognitive, they see a cognitive neurologist and it takes them a while to identify, especially if not in the family history, that this is something new. And then they finally, after a couple of years of seeing different types of providers or specialists, it clicks and then they they come to us. So we have different learners. Tomorrow we have a, a psychiatry fellow coming to our clinic. We have a, a genetics fellow coming to our clinic. Any way that we can help other providers learn and be knowledgeable about Huntington's disease is important. So 
I always say if someone asked, hey, do you want to give a talk? My answer is always yes. If you want to learn about Huntington's disease, absolutely. We are here. Would love to teach you about it. That's really amazing. It's also just so amazing to know that the multidisciplinary approach, although some people would say that it can limit care, it, it can also help care because there's so many people that could help you understand what you're going through with Huntington's disease. And so I'm sure that provides a better picture for patients when they're facing not only psychiatric effects, and that's why they're going to their psychiatrist maybe, but also neurological and behavioral and also physical, of course. And to wrap up and ask some last questions, why would a long wait time matter to an HD patient? Would it be that waiting longer gets them farther in their disease state and so that can impact them negatively? Is it the lack of hope that might come from them being told, oh, your appointment can be in six months or something? What could those negative impacts be on a patient? Yeah, I I think it's important to have care as early in your HD journey as possible. We've seen circumstances in which people are not really aware of their symptoms and they don't understand how they impact themselves or impact their family. And you can have relationship disturbances. You can have impairments in ability to perform work. People can lose their jobs. They can lose connections with family members or even marriages. And so the earlier you can get in there, the earlier you can provide education and insight into what they're experiencing for just for themselves as well as for their family members. They're not intending to do this. This is HD and, and putting it in context and understanding and then being able to also provide therapy. Could this improve with medication? And oftentimes the answer is yes. Or can we provide education around work modification or school individualized plans? How can we educate the classroom how best to manage what you're experiencing and how a social worker can do in-services? So there's so many pieces where you can help that the earlier you can help, the earlier you can provide, rather there being downstream consequences to what you're experiencing in that delay of care. And of course, if we get the courage finally to ask for help. And then we're told, oh, great, you can get it in six months. That doesn't feel good. You've just built up the courage to, to and that takes a lot. And I always really thank people for getting the courage to, you know, reach out and come and visit with us so that we can um, help them along their journey. And it's hard to say, I'm ready. Okay, now wait. So yeah, there's that. And then like we mentioned earlier, Meeting with the team reinfuses hope in, in their HD journey and what they can do to be proactive for themselves and what their families can do and getting involved in the HD community and outreach and advocacy and research and education days. There's just so much to access there. And if they're waiting to get that, then that's hard, right? Definitely. Thank you so much, Dr. Duffy, again for your time. Just to wrap it up, I wanted to have you just talk about why you care about Huntington's disease, why you want other future neurologists, future physicians to care about Huntington's disease, why it's been so fruitful in your life. Yeah. So when you're caring for Huntington's disease patients, you're not just caring for the patient, but you're caring for their family. 
and you get to know them as who they are and what they bring to the table. I often start my first visits saying, tell me about your life's path. Tell me where you're born and growing up. And tell me about HD in your life growing up and how impactful that was. What that, what does that experience look like for yourself? And tell me about what you're experiencing now, just in terms of HD for yourself. And then also hearing from the family what they've experienced. And then building in that relationship from that ground and understanding what they're bringing to the table so that you can help care for them and their families. And oftentimes you're caring for multiple members of a family and generation after generation as you do this over the years and creating that relationship and being able to be their support along their HD journey is exceptionally rewarding. What an amazing gift. And I thank the families for allowing us into their lives and allowing us to participate in that care and trusting us and allowing for that vulnerability. It's just incredibly remarkable and rewarding. And you go to the community events and you just can palpate the spirit and the energy and the love. And it's exceptionally inspirational. Going to the HDSA annual meeting and attending the the youth's evening where you, the youth put on these performances and the talent show. I cry every time. It's just inspirational. So it's it's been a gift in in my career and one of the most rewarding parts of what I do. Thank you so much, Dr. Duffy, again, for your time and also representing physicians that care so much about diseases that might not necessarily impact their own life, but you've brought the impacts that families may face into your world and you've been able to, to help them and also become part of their families, which is an amazing, unique thing of Huntington's disease I think that a lot of physicians would agree with. If there's any last words you have for us, Dr. Duffy, I guess a question I would have for myself is what do you think that youth in today's world maybe through organizations like HOPES at Stanford, what can youth do to help with the issue of lack of access to care for the HD community? What steps do you want us to take and what do you see for the future with these new generations? Yeah, I'm always in awe and inspired by our new generations and the youth. And what I would say is just care, care about HD and be willing to get involved. And what you're doing in HOPES is just so inspirational and amazing year after year. Really, it comes from you and you are our future generations. You are our pipeline. So the more that you can care about the HD world, the further along we're going to get in Huntington's disease. So come to our events, learn about HD and get inspired. Want to become physical therapist, that social worker, that neurologist that specializes in Huntington's disease in the future. You're our future. So the youth is incredibly impactful. And we, we appreciate it and appreciate you guys a lot. Thank you so much, Dr. Duffy. Yes, thank you. Thank you for listening and showing up and being here and learning. Really appreciate it. And, and thanks for thank you for the invitation. I really appreciate it. <laughs>